Hello and welcome to another edition of the Powers Court Friday Fix, our last episode of 2022. I'm Justin Griffiths, a partner at Powers Court, and I'm very happy to welcome back a previous guest of ours, Harry Eccles-Williams at law firm Mishcon Dorea. Earlier in the year, Harry spoke to us about the UK's online safety bill and given it's back in the media with a vengeance after returning to Parliament with some pretty significant amendments, Harry has kindly agreed to talk to us again and explain the implications. So when we first spoke on this topic back in April, you described this bill as a world first piece of legislation in the fight against online harms. For those who may not be as familiar with the bill as we are, could you just give us a quick recap of what it's aiming to achieve? Very broadly, the bill seeks to make the internet safer and reduce online harms. And, you know, there's a, there's a general consensus that social media has been left unchecked and that, that this is causing real harm both online and ultimately offline. And so this is an example of, of the UK seeking to take a leading role in the regulation of these companies. And it's a huge bill. And and, you know, it applies to, as one would expect, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, the usual suspects. But it might be a surprise uh, to many to know that the actual scope of this bill, I mean, it, it will ultimately apply to 25,000 companies, give or take. And so, yes, it applies to the social media companies that I mentioned, but it would also apply to Tinder. It will apply to TripAdvisor. It will apply to eBay. It will apply to Strava. And, and any other company that hosts user-generated content or, or which has a search function. And so whilst that is the case, that it's, a, it's an enormous bill um, and, and relates to many, many different companies, not all companies will be treated equally. So approximately the 10 biggest slash most risky will be in category one. They will have to you know, comply with the most stringent requirements. There's about another 20 in, in category two, the sort of mediumly stringent requirements. And then there's about another 25,000 companies that are not categorized, but are still within scope. And they will have the sort of lesser requirements on them, but still not insubstantial. I guess one of the, the key elements of the media coverage is not necessarily the, the, the bill itself, but actually the amendments that the government has been essentially trying to put through as the bill has come back to Parliament. And the most significant of which is this removal of the so-called uh, legal but harmful content. And that's now been dropped because of fears over its impact of, on freedom of speech. But how significant is that change in, within the overall context of this bill? Firstly, I think it's important to note that it has been dropped in relation to adults, but platforms that are likely to be accessed by children still have very significant duties to stop children accessing harmful material. And so it has not been entirely dropped, this, this requirement to, to, to monitor and prevent legal but harmful content. And I think second is important to note is that this legal but harmful only ever related to category one platforms, the biggest social media companies, essentially. This change only applies to those approximately 10 companies. So that's why I say in some senses it's, it, it's not a massive change. But of course, 
their influence is enormous and therefore in some senses it is a very big change. It's also true to say that there were very real concerns from those outside the Tory party and those outside politics about the concept of legal but harmful and exactly what that meant and the idea of banning speech that is legal. And so I do think the politics has played a a big role in this, but they were not the only people who had concerns about this concept. As a father of daughters approaching their teenage years, it, this is something I constantly worry about in terms of what harmful content they might be exposed to when online, regardless of how hard my wife and I try to prevent or, or control it. And the tragic case of Molly Russell is a horrifying example of what can happen. She tragically took her own life after being exposed to some horrendous self-harm content. Would the bill in its current form with this amendment have prevented her from accessing it? Firstly, I'd, I'd, I'd like to just repeat your sentiment of, of just how horrifying the case of Molly Russell was and just, just how extraordinary it it was that the images that she saw in the lead up to her death were just horrifying. And these thousands of images that, that she would have seen will also have been seen by many other children. And so this is really a problem that our society needs to get a grip with and, 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 and do so fast. One caveat is that this bill does not deal with individual pieces of content. Rather, it deals with systems. It says... Does social media company have the correct systems in place in order to prevent illegal content from, you know, being posted and, and remaining online? And so it is not impossible that uh, pieces of content slip through the net. But nonetheless, I, I think that certainly it would make it far harder for that content to be viewed. And if it is possible to be viewed far less of it. So I do think it's, it's a really positive step forward in that regard. Now, I mean, in terms of how the government is now structuring its protection, it has emphasised this so-called triple shield approach. What exactly does it entail? What are those three layers of protection that the government is now offering? So the social media firms will be legally required to remove illegal content. So no change there. They will also have to remove material that is in breach of their own terms of service. And thirdly, they must provide adults with a greater choice over the content they see and engage with. And so, you know, I think the biggest question is going to be about, well, what do the terms of service of these providers say? And, and are they amended in, in, in light of this? The second point you mentioned around the T's and C's, that sounds suspicious viciously like online platforms essentially being left to mark their own homework, doesn't it? I mean, yes, simply put, yes, that, that's what it does look like. I think it's going to be very interesting to see whether um, major platforms are going to take the risk, let's say, of watering down their terms of service in order to provide themselves with greater protection or, or, or less requirements under the bill. It will be obviously a PR nightmare were they to do that. 
if their terms of service are very, very stringent, then they need to apply those. Then it does make a, a difference. It's on the, the, the subject of enforcement, Ofcom is due to become a, a super regulator for the internet. What powers will it have? And are they enough, do you think, to protect vulnerable people online? I know when we spoke in April, we talked about some of the potential punishments that could be dished out. But you know, how realistic is all of this? What can Ofcom do? So Ofcom, in theory, is about to become very, very powerful. It can require companies to provide huge amounts of information. It can enter companies, inspect documents, audit them, apply for, you know, execute warrants against them. It can issue enforcement notifications, you know, financial penalties of up to 18 million or 10% of qualifying worldwide revenue, whichever is greater. It can name senior managers to provide specific information and, uh, and, and, you know, failure to do so leading to some form of criminal sanction. It can apply to the courts to impose business disruption measures, which I think essentially means Ofcom can stop companies from operating in this jurisdiction. So the theoretical powers are very significant. I think there's a couple of questions, though, as to first of all, well, is, for example, Facebook based in America going to comply? And I just use Facebook as an example. I mean, many of these companies are based outside this jurisdiction. And I also think there's just the question of to what extent does Ofcom decide that it wants to interfere with the running of these businesses from a sort of public policy standpoint and, you know, political standpoint? And I think they will start by treading softly. And if they try to use those powers, do companies out of the jurisdiction comply. One other point caught my eye recently, and that's the insertion of this so-called spy clause into the bill, which, as I understand it, significantly strengthens the government's ability to demand messenger apps like WhatsApp and Telegram to monitor messages being sent across their platforms. Now, this has raised very obvious concerns around sort of mass surveillance of the British public. What exactly is the government proposing here, and is it justifiable, do you think? I think there's twofold. One is, is, is in relation to using what they call accredited technologies in relation to terrorist and child sexual exploitation and abuse material, and that, that these technologies are meant to, uh, or supposedly can scan encrypted messages for particular images and maybe content, I don't know, but I know certainly in relation to images, and can tell if an image passes in an encrypted message without actually de-encrypting the message or reading anything else in it. It will just know that something has turned up and, and can, in theory, then tell law enforcement. There is then this additional sort of part of the bill which seems to allow a, what's known as a proactive technology requirement which can be imposed in relation to uh, failure to meet any of the duties set out, including illegal content, children's online safety, etc. Now, this is a power that is given to Ofcom. It feels very, very broad, and therefore I can see why there are concerns about it. On the other hand, we all know that a lot of let's say, uh, unsavoury things and things which lead to online harms are, are probably 
done over encrypted messages services. And that's why this is here. I mean, I think the proof will be in the pudding in the sense of how does Ofcom use this? But I can see why it is a cause for concern that Ofcom would even have that power. And I guess my final question, Harry, the original promise of this bill, when it was first conceived, I believe, in Theresa May's 2017 manifesto, was to, in inverted commas, make Britain the safest place in the world to be online. In your view, is it likely to deliver on that promise? I think the Europeans may have something to say about that because their Digital Services Act, which seeks to address you know, very similar issues in a slight, slightly different way, is further along the line than, than our online safety bill. But what I would say is that I think this bill, however imperfect, will be great progress. And uh, I think other countries around the world will be watching what we do and will be adopting much of it. Well, thanks very much, Harry. That feels like a good place to end this episode. Uh, I think a good way of summing it up is how Paul Scully, the culture minister himself, said it when he was quoted as saying that the online safety bill, in his words, is not a silver bullet. But hopefully um, it will do enough to at least make the UK a far safer place online than it is today. So um, that brings us to uh, not only the end of this episode, but to the end of our series for 2022. Uh, we look forward to welcoming our listeners back in the new year. But in the meantime, I wish you all uh, a very happy festive period and all the best for 2023. Bye for now.